The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, <laughs> Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today's broadcast is the re-recording of a show first presented on January 5th of 2015, which reflected on some of the spiritual implications of the events surrounding the tragedy of 911. 911 and the financial collapse of 2008 were seen by Messianic Rabbi Jonathan Kahn as part of a larger seven-year cycle of spiritual setbacks brought on by our own bad behavior. And this year, 2016, uh, is the next following the seven-year cycle of the Hebrew Shemitah, which has uh, not yet demonstrated the same degree of setback Rabbi Khan was warning of, unless you count the state of our presidential campaign. Given the potential outcome of November's election, this could be a fitting counterpart to the seven-year cycle of disasters Khan has written about. So give a listen to this show again and see what you think. There are two books written by Messianic Jewish Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. He claims to have uncovered a cycle of economic and political disasters visited on Israel and now America because of our ongoing bad behavior. His first book was titled The Harbinger and was a best-selling novel in 2012. His premise was that the fall of the Twin Towers on 9-11-2001 was a warning from God that paralleled the fall of the ten northern tribes of Israel to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. A key clue for Khan was that American politicians incorporated the same words about 9-11 used by the arrogant Judeans quoted quoted in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 10, that the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Khan points out that all the political speeches made after 9-1-1, in which these words were quoted, ignored the fact that Isaiah is calling them arrogant and an offense to God. The phrase preceding that uh, quote about the falling bricks was, the Lord has sent a message against Jacob. It will fall on Israel. All the people will know it. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria who say with pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. And then this follows that passage. Therefore, the Lord shall set up the adversaries of Rethsin, who was the king who ruled from Damascus against him, and join his enemies together, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. It's not a pretty picture, for sure. All this suffering came down because Israel did not return to God, but decided they could simply rebuild on their own. And Khan claims that we made the same mistake after 9-1-1. For Israel, it took nearly 140 more years for Judah, that's Jerusalem, to to fall, but fall it did, and the Jews were hauled away to Babylon for 70 years. 
Khan has based his Harbinger novel on a premise that could have been explained in a short article, but articles never get the same audience, so he decided to dramatize it. Khan cites parallels between this fall of Israel and the events related to 9-1-1, calling these events and facts uh, harbingers, and argues that they show a connection between ancient Israel's destruction and a possible coming destruction of present-day America. He also says that ancient Israel received a warning before being destroyed, and that the 9-1-1 harbingers form a similar warning from God to America. Before God judges a nation, he sends warning, Khan writes. But America, like Israel, has not responded with repentance, but with defiance. And Khan names nine warnings, which he calls the nine harbingers. And uh, this is how uh, they are summarized in Wikipedia. <clears throat> Wikipedia states, the book draws parallels between the kingdom of Israel and the United States, the author argues that America was founded similar to ancient Israel and the founding fathers envisioned a country based on the rules of God and a light unto the nations. The author lists a series of warnings or harbingers that were given to ancient Israel before its final destruction by the Assyrians and makes a parallel between each and the events of 911. And a summary of harbingers mentioned in the book are as follows. Number one is the breach. The author argues that the United States, just like the ancient Israel, the uh, just like ancient Israel, has breached the covenant it made with God at the time of its foundation. Thus, the hedge of God's protection around America was lifted on 9-1-1, similar to the way the hedge of protection around ancient Israel was lifted. And we'll talk a little about this covenant in terms of a speech given right around that same area as Ground Zero by uh, George Washington. Number two, a parallel in the terrorists. The author argues that similar to the way that the kingdom of Israel was attacked by Assyrians, the United States was attacked by Al-Qaeda, and the Assyrians were a Semitic people, children of the Middle East, and so too were the terrorists of 911. Number three, the fallen bricks, symbolizing the, the destruction of the buildings. The most visible signs of the attack on ancient Israel were that of the fallen buildings, that of the fallen buildings and the ruined heaps of fallen bricks. In 911, the most visible sign of the attack was also the uh, huge piles of debris when the two towers collapsed, the fallen bricks of the fallen buildings. Number four is uh, the tower. The harbinger symbolizes the fact that after the Assyrian attack, the kingdom of Israel did not repent from its sins, but vowed to rebuild its buildings with its own power. This is a form of arrogance that um, we saw in our own politicians. Similarly, Similarly, the author argues that the United States also did not repent from its sins after the warning, and continued its path, vowing to rebuild on ground zero with its own power. Number five was a, a Gazit stone. The Israels carved out quarried stone from mountain rock. This was what we were going to build with uh, with rock, as they promised. They brought it back to the ground of destruction where the clay bricks once stood. Well, three years after 9-1-1, a 20-ton quarried rock 
meant to serve as the cornerstone of the new building was brought to ground zero. A ceremony took place over the rock in which New York Governor George Pataki pronounced, quote, Today we, the heirs of that revolutionary spirit of defiance, lay this cornerstone and unmistakably signal to the world the unwavering strength of this nation and our resolve to fight for freedom. Uh, end quote. Uh, eventually the stone was removed from ground zero. Number six of the harbingers is the sycamore. And the sycamore played a particularly um, symbolic part in uh, the bomb, the uh, fall of the buildings in 911. In Isaiah 9, uh, verse 10, the nation of Israel declares that its sycamore trees have been destroyed by the Assyrians during the attack, but they would replace them with cedar trees. After the collapse of the buildings during the 911 attacks, a shockwave was created that damaged most buildings around the area. Only one building was not harmed, which was St. Paul's Chapel, and it was protected by a sycamore tree that is believed to have captured the full blow of the blast. Khan points out that St. Paul's Chapel was also the place that the government of the United States prayed on the day of the first inauguration of George Washington on April 30th, 1789. The sycamore sycamore is known today as the 911 sycamore, and a memorial was built for it. Number seven in this list of uh, harbingers is the Eretz tree in Isaiah 9.10. The nation of Israel vows to replace the damaged sycamores with cedars, which are stronger. Two years after the events of 911 on November 29th, 2003, an actual tree was planted in the place of the original sycamore in front of St. Paul's Chapel. This tree was a 21-foot spruce and was called the Tree of Hope. Uh, Number eight in the list of harbingers is the utterance or the vow of defiance, for there is to be a parallel with ancient Israel with this harbinger. Khan says a national leader would have to speak the defiant vow to rebuild in the nation's capital, which he argues that uh, U.S. Senator John Edwards did during a 9-11 memorial on September 11th, 2004, when he quoted Isaiah with that quote that we've been uh, talking about. And finally, the ninth um, harbinger was the prophecy. Another parallel with ancient Israel, according to Khan, is that a national leader must utter the Isaiah 9, verse 10 vow as a prophecy before such events as the replacing of the tree and the bringing of the cornerstone rock to ground zero. Khan says this occurred one day after the events of 9-1-1 when America issued its official response to the terrorism attacks. It was delivered by Senator Tom Daschle, who was then the Senate Majority Leader and um, in charge of the official response, and he spoke it to Congress. At the end of his speech, he quoted Isaiah 9, verse 10, and Khan says that the warnings of God came two times, to ancient Israel before the third time when the nation was destroyed. <clears throat> uh, Wikipedia goes on 
with a description of the Shemitah. And uh, this is the title of Khan's second book. Khan argues here that the financial collapses of the Dow Jones Industrial Average on September 17, 2001 and September 29, 2008 were also prophetic warnings. He says that both happened on the same date of the Hebrew calendar, the 29th of Elul, and that relates them to the Shemitah, a Sabbath year observed every seven years in Judaism in which the land isn't cultivated and debts are canceled. Khan argues that a third strike might be the collapse of American power, which lies in the nation's economy. The mystery of the Shemitah is fascinating in in many ways, and it extends far beyond uh, and prior to uh, the 911 disaster. So Khan wrote this nonfiction book related to the Harbinger on the Shemitah topic called The Mystery of the Shemitah, which was published um, September 2014 by Frontline. In this book, Khan makes a case that understanding the seven-year pattern is essential for understanding the prophecies of the Bible and links the Great Depression and other American economic collapses to the Shemitah, as well as the country's rise and possible eventual fall as prophesied in The Harbinger. Now, when I first broadcast this show uh, back in uh, 2015, I billed it what I did on my Christmas vacation because I took a trip to New York and um, with the express purpose of investigating uh, for myself what um, Jonathan Kahn was talking about in terms of the 911 disaster. So I took a five-day trip to New York City and visited the site where 9-11 took place. And I wasn't sure what I was looking for, but since 2015, um, last year was the seventh year. It was the in September that that um, Shemitah uh, year, the seventh year, ended, the effects of which would be we should be feeling right now. Um, uh, <clears throat> was the, that was the seventh, 2015 was the seventh year after 9-11. So I figured if there was anything in Khan's writings, that would be a good time to find out. My quest, because of my own particular slant on these things, had to start at St. Paul's Chapel, the oldest public building still in use in the city, the place George Washington came to worship after his inauguration speech, in 1789, and uh, the speech in which he committed or covenanted in biblical language the same kind of covenant made by the people of Israel to God. 1789, and George Washington committed the country to God and said in part, and this is a quote from Washington, in tendering this homage to the great author of every public and private good, great author, of course, being God. I assure myself that it expresses your sentiments, not less than my own, nor those of my fellow citizens at large less than either. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Let me repeat that. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. 
every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. And there are many amazing things um, that brought the freedom of this country to pass. And in the important revolution just accomplished in the system of their united government, the tranquil deliberations, this is Washington going on, the tranquil deliberations and voluntary consent of so many distinct communities from which the event has resulted cannot be compared with the means by which most governments have been established without some return of pious gratitude, along with a humble anticipation of the future blessings which the past seems to presage. These reflections arising out of the present crisis have forced themselves too strongly on my mind, says Washington, to be suppressed. You will join with me, I trust, in thinking that there are none under the influence of which the proceedings of a new and free government can be more auspicious can more auspiciously commence. Now, St. Paul's Chapel was the one area building that was spared from destruction from the fall of the Twin Towers, spared because a sycamore tree died deflecting the blow of a falling beam. It was raining that Sunday, so I took the subway downtown in time to catch the 9.15 a.m. service at St. Historic St. Paul's. The pews have been removed from the chapel, and the small group of worshippers sat in a circle around the celebrant, a young woman uh, Episcopal priest named Emily. The gospel reading for the day was the opening of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was from God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In pursuit of understanding, after the service, I asked one of, of the St. Paul's clergy about Kahn's book. He said he hadn't read it. <laughs> I then asked the priest, Emily, what she thought about it. We don't give any credence, she said, because Episcopalians don't believe in an apocalypse. She seemed set in her dismissal. So I didn't point out that Khan wasn't talking about apocalypse, but rather the decline of America. She acknowledged the, the fallen sycamore tree had saved the chapel and even the tombstones in the crowded cemetery from any damage and went on to say they had planted some sort of evergreen to replace it. They named it the Tree of Hope, she laughed, but it died and got renamed the Shrub of Despair. She mentioned that the root ball of the sycamore had been memorialized in a sculpture next to Trinity Church, the parent church to St. Paul's, that dominates the top of Wall Street. And so I set out to walk the five blocks to Trinity Church. It's said that Trinity may be the wealthiest church in the United States because it owns much of the real estate of Wall Street itself. There was time before the next service, so I walked down Wall Street, past the stock exchange in the federal building where Washington had been sworn in as president. A huge bronze statue of our first president stands in front, and kids were playing around it, even in the rain. Khan's second book, The Mystery of the Shemitah, spells out an intimate relationship between Wall Street and God's judgment every seven years. 
He charts the major stock market downturns beginning in 1973 and 1980, 1987, 2000, uh, and 2007. I've already mentioned distinctly different historic events and yet at the same time the market the financial world will reflect the blow that falls so lest you're thinking at this point that seven years is a vaguely general period of time uh, let me comment on that um, because I believe it is as well Kahn argued um, that the economic swings fell on exact dates of the Jewish calendar and he wrote um, in his book on page 109, from the 40-year period beginning in 1973, every single one of the five greatest financial and economic pe- peaks and collapses have converged, clustered, and taken place according to the set time of the Shemitah. Uh, in retrospect, Khan may have exaggerated the exactness of these dates. Some I think he's absolutely right about, uh, on others... Uh, not so much. And I would argue that in 2016, we have not yet seen the kind of effects that um, the end of the Shemitah in September uh, 2015 may relate to, except uh, in one area, which would be the, uh, the debates going on in the Republican Party for who was going to be their candidate for president of the United States. And there were a couple of debates right around that time of the Shemitah in which uh, Trump seemed to gain uh, quite a lot of ground. Anyway, uh, back to my trip to New York. I returned to Trinity just in time for the start of the uh, 1015 service. They have a world-class choir, by the way, which I'm sure is paid, uh, and they certainly can afford it. It was a joy to sit through a even a second Sunday service. But I ducked, <clears throat> ducked out early, though, to find that immortalized root ball from the sycamore that saved St. Paul's. It stands beside the church out in the rain. At first, it reminded me of bronzed baby shoes because it looks just like a root ball, huge root ball, covered in metal by uh, the artist Steve Tobin. Uh, look up the Harbinger in Wikipedia and you'll find a photo of the root ball sculpture along with Tom Daschle's sorry misuse of the Bible passage about the fallen bricks. You'll be amazed at how large this root ball is. It's something that you can just step into. And they have no barricades. There are no restrictions against uh, standing inside this root ball. And um, I noticed when I did that, there's one remarkable feature about this root ball sculpture. When you step into the center of the sculpture, you'll find that only the outer roots touch the ground. But if you lay hands on the inner roots, hold them in your hands, and the root ball reflects and communicates the vibrations of the city. It's as if the ghost of the tree is still talking to us. And a little flyer that they give out about the root ball, they write... uh, Tobin used its roots as the base for a bronze sculpture memorial. Nothing 
nothing can replace the losses that have been suffered. I know there is only the smallest measure of inspiration that can be taken from this devastation. But there is a passage in the Bible (laughs) from Isaiah that I think speaks to all of us at times such as this. And here comes the quote again. This is from Tom Daschle. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. They said fig fig trees. It's sycamore. Uh, That is what we will do. We will rebuild and we will recover. The people of America will stand strong together because the people of America have always stood together. Uh, I beg to differ. And those of us privileged to serve this great nation will stand with you. And that was then Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle, as printed on the on the brochure that comes with the root ball sculpture. To complete my tour, I walked back to St. Paul's and to Ground Zero, where the newest tower has been built. It was written, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. The outside of the new tower is all glass. But uh, just go inside, and there's a long um, passageway that you can follow to go on the inside. At least there was when I was there. The interior is all hewn stone. Beautiful white marble floors and walls. So the parallel to Isaiah 9.10 holds. Uh, walking away from the building, um, I, I was going up the street, and a little boy and his family were coming toward me on the same side of the street. The boy was perhaps five years old, walking with his parents toward the structure, and he knew the whole story, clearly, about uh, 9-11. And suddenly he realized what he was seeing. He was seeing the new so-called Freedom Tower. And he exclaimed in shock and disbelief, which I'm sure went through many people's minds, including my own when I first looked at it, don't tell me they're building another twin tower. His dismay was tangible. And given his tone, I couldn't agree more. Well, back when I first did this show, uh, I was talking about our being seven years past 2008 and that uh, acknowledging that uh, right at that moment when I was broadcasting, we were into the next Shemitah year. And then the last day would be in Elul 29, the day of remission. And uh, it fell on Sunday, September 13th, 2015. The only significant event on that day not, was not one financially, as far as I know, but there was a solar eclipse, and there had been a number of uh, solar events, uh, um, blood moons and eclipses that were going on at the, right around that whole Shemitah year. To get the full impact of the coincidences between ancient Israel and the U.S. today, you should read Khan's books, The Harbinger and the Mystery of the Shemitah, and I'd be interested to know what you think. Now, a story that I reported in that last show, I will tell to you again. The way I put it was, now for those of you who are disappointed, there was no discussion of the other side in this session of NDE Radio. Let me share something with you. While I was in New York, I stayed in a room at my father's old residence. It was the first time I'd been there, actually, since his death. The Union League Club. My dad, 
Chris Whitting Sr. was a pioneer in early TV. Uh, and during his work week at the Dumont Television Network, he lived at this uh, club. It's um, dating back to the Civil War, I guess. The club's located 37th Street and Park. And getting out of the shower that morning, I caught the distinct aroma of the aftershave he used to wear when he was alive. Even as a child, I knew him by that scent, and I felt his presence with me in the room there for several minutes. It was a few days later, and thinking about it, that I realized he'd communicated with me for the first time since his death on a seemingly auspicious day, given my investigations during this New York trip. It had been nine years, 11 days, since he had died. This was my own 9-11 coincidence, and it's been on my mind from time to time ever since. Well, it looks like we're out of time for today. If you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS, check out their website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>